Hello, and welcome to another episode of Blankets and Boundaries. I'm your guide, Duke Novak. This is an extra bonus uh, episode for season one. Uh, and it's a very exciting and special episode, and I'm, I'm very excited to bring this to you. I had the opportunity of interviewing Kaylin Torres. And Kaylin is a young lady who I got to meet this year, beginning of the year. She started working at the high school that I work at, and she joined the security team at the high school. And I'd learned that uh, before I'd started working at the high school, Kaylin was a student there, and she was actually a part of the program that I currently am a social worker for, and it's called the Strive Program, where I get to work with students who are... uh, just awesome, talented, uh, wonderful students have some uh, emotional challenges and some behavioral challenges. And Kaylin was a part of this program before I'd gotten there. Um, but once I heard that, I asked if Kaylin would speak to the students that I work with. So at the beginning of the semester, she came in and spoke to uh, three different periods. And after hearing her speak to my students, I I knew right away that I I had uh, come across someone very um, very inspirational, very special, and I, I knew I had to interview her for the podcast. So, without further ado, uh, this interview is with Kaylin Torres. So let's begin. Okay, thank you for having me. It's um definitely a pleasure to be here and kind of share what I went through. That's exactly what I hope to do in this world. Can I give back and kind of let kids know who may be feeling like they're the only one in the world, like just be able to look at them and be like, Hey, I've absolutely been there. I understand what you're going through, what you're feeling and it gets so much better. And, and here's how I did it. Um, So I guess just start kind of like family origin. Uh, Not the typical um, happy family being brought into the world. My parents uh, knew each other for a very short time. um, And I was 100% actually um, an accident. um, Born on April Fool's Day. Uh, So my parents, my mom had a pretty lengthy, um, history of mental illness. Um, and my father was a severe, aggressive and abusive alcoholic. So it's kind of where I started. I think my earliest memories kind of range about eight years old is when, uh, my dad left, um, and my mom became a single mom and, her mental health issues kind of started rapidly taking over my life and my childhood and kind of became the normal to me. Um, I started acting out a lot in school. Um, We just had, I, I would say the best way to describe home was chaos, very, um, aggressive, angry chaos. And that's kind of the world I lived in. Um, and for a young mind, Mm -hmm. you don't really realize that it's not 
like that everywhere else. You think that that is just the way that life is. So pretty inconsistent, would you say, never knowing kind of what kind of home Correct. you were going to walk into? Correct. Because, I mean, there could be one day out of months that was a good, normal day where I felt seen. Mm-hmm. And that was something that I struggled with a lot as a kid is that um, I almost felt invisible like drowned out into the background of my parents' issues. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, you don't even realize what it does to you when you're in that mindset until you're looking back and you're like, wow, you know, like I really didn't think that I was loved or had a purpose or, you know, belonged mm-hmm. where I, where I, you just feel like such a misfit in your own life and feeling like that, in a preteen age or, you know, eight, 15, wherever you are in your adolescence can just be so emotionally consuming. It's hard to react and kind of live your life stably mm-hmm. at school or any other, um, I guess any other, uh, setting. Right. It's, it was hard. Um, but that kind of, you know, brought me into going into middle school. And um, now that I'm in school and, and studying what I'm studying, which I want to be a police officer. So I'm taking a lot of sociology, psychology, um, social labeling theory, huge one. Yeah. Um, and that's something that I actually look back on and and see a lot in myself as a kid. And, and I see a lot in, in the kids here at the high school. Can you explain that a little bit? Yeah. Sure. Um, So from home, um, I was told, um, you know, I was called names, uh, torn apart verbally by my own mother. So graphically, um, I was told that I just wanted attention, um, I did start looking for attention as far as um, just getting it in any way that I could, even negative attention. But I was called names Um, when I started, you know, liking boys. It was, you know, you're like you're a slut, you're, you know, stuff like that. So when when you're telling a sponge, when you're filling a sponge with dirty water. Yeah that's what it's going to fill with, you know, it's not going to bring itself out and somehow have clean water. And so it's, it's much like a child's mind. I truly believed those things about myself for a very long time. So then that starts leaking into your, into your school life. So then you have other kids reinforcing those beliefs that you were told at home and now you're not seeking any refuge either place that you are the majority of your time. Yeah. So rolling into that, um, I, you know, I, I did end up getting pregnant at a very young age. Um, I kind of became what everyone was telling me, you know, well, she's a troublemaker started getting arrested because, well, if that's what they think of me, mm-hmm. why should I try to be anything else? Yeah. Why should I, you know, I'm not getting, I get nothing out of doing good. So why not just do what I want? Mm-hmm. And It's the same response, um, which I think is huge, which um, this is a side note. But 
I think anyone who works in a school should 100% know this. And it is, there are so many kids that come into the building and they are the troublemakers and they're disrespectful and they are the kids that, you know, you kind of grit your jaw and you're like, Ooh, that was so rude. And it's frustrating. But those are the kids that need to know the most when you walk in. I don't, I don't care who you are, what you've done. Every day is a new day. You'll walk in this building and I will 100% look at you in your eyes and tell you, I am so glad to see you here today because there are so many kids that go home and they've, they've never even, they've never been told that. Mm -hmm. Um, it's kind of interesting how you said, like you didn't even feel seen. Yes. So it sounds like these kids probably feel that same way. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, they're, you know, parents, not all parents, obviously, but Mm -hmm. there are certain parents that they get engulfed in their own lives and their own problems. And they don't even realize the way that it can be so destructive to their children. Um, so there's no structure being brought into the household, Uh which is something that if, when a child has no structure and I, I believe this because I lived it, the comfortability or, or the mindset that you're comfortable in becomes chaos because there's nothing to tell you why or where or how or give you a direction or even, you know, cause positive or negative consequences. Right. Um, there's, there's nothing. Yeah. There's no guide. There's no map. Right. It's just kind of this right. chaos. So, so you end up just, that's like your comfort zone is chaos. So you rebel against any kind of structure. And then we wonder why kids walk in the building who live their lives similarly to how I was. And we are and we're like, well, why can't they just follow the rules? Because th- they don't even comprehend it. Because at home, it doesn't matter. They are at home far more than they are at school. Mm-hmm. In a single school day, we cannot make their brain completely comprehend um, essentially rules and structure. But what we can do is we can say, hey, I'm so happy to see you here today. You are welcome. You are seen. What can I help you with today? How can we take small baby steps to get you to progress in a direction that's going to be beneficial to you? And that's essentially what a school environment is. It's educational, but we're providing the lack of structure, the lack, the lack of nurture Mm -hmm. that that a lot of kids don't have at home. And I think that that's something that needs to be talked about more. It's, you know, this podcast is called Blankets and Boundaries, and it's just exactly what you said, that nurturing, but also that structure mm-hmm. that kids kind of depend on both of these things right. in their lives. Yeah. And so I actually ended up legally being emancipated at 16 years old. Um, I had my son. My mom wasn't in a position to take care of me. Um, she was actually you know, hospitalized when I was pregnant. Um, and so I was kind of, I was sleeping on an air mattress in a storage room of my grandparents' house. Um, I found refuge in my son's father and his family. 
because I went over there and I ended up spending all my time over there because I was like, whoa, you have clean sacks. Like you have, you open your drawers and there's clean sacks in there, which is, it blows my mind now to think about the fact that like, that was a luxury to me when I was growing up was just something as simple as a cleaned outfit that smelled like, you know, fabric softener or coming home to a meal or coming home to, um, your mom giving you like a big hug or, you know, have you eaten today? Are you sleeping well? You know, these are the things that, that did not exist in a majority of my childhood. So you didn't, um, you said you weren't seen, but it sounds like also, um, you weren't heard, you weren't paid attention to. Um, so when you were in this different environment, Mm -hmm. these little, uh, things like clean socks mm-hmm. or having someone ask you, how was your day or what do you need? Mm-hmm. It's just oh, it foreign was, to you. you it know? was, it was foreign, but it was almost, uh, like, a a feeling that's, that's hard to describe now. It's, it's, I mean, it's like a, mo- it's just being nurtured when you haven't mm-hmm. been, mm-hmm. you just have this like light on your feet, floating kind of euphoric, mm-hmm energy because it's something that all biologic like we crave it as human beings as social creatures and having the absence of it is just i mean you you see it you can tell in Mm -hmm. in kids and even adults who haven't healed from that as you know from their childhood certainly um i remember it's distinctly i can remember what I was wearing. I remember the way that the air smelled because it was such a detrimental point in my, my, in my childhood that made, that did make me feel so unseen was I came home one day and mind you in eighth grade, I was out until two in the morning. No one cared. Right. I was, I was out, you know, growing up, if I did something correct, I cleaned the house, um, got a good grade. I got a pack of cigarettes and a coffee and and thinking about that because I have my own son now blows my mind you know but I that's kind of that's where I came from that was that was my positive reinforcement Caitlin when you were in this type of environment of not being seen or allowed to like go out at two o'clock in the morning were you even a did you think it was like this is this is great I get to do whatever I want or were you aware at that time of like the the suffering that would was being created for you. So this story is actually a perfect example of this. Um, when I was saying I, I can, I can remember the way that the air smelled. I remember being out like all night, you know, with some boy who thought I was cute and he could drive. Mind you, I was probably 13, 14 at this time, 100%. My parents should have cared that I was hanging out with 16, 17 year old boys. Yeah. Um, I would have a heart attack if I had a daughter and she got dropped off at home at midnight. Mm-hmm. I walked into the house after thinking, this is great. This is awesome. I can do whatever I want. All my friends are home by eight 30. You know, I'm, mm-hmm. I'm an adult. I walk in the house. My, uh, my parents are sitting. When I say my parents, I had, I had a stepfather, um, you know, it's kind of a story in itself, but he, uh, he did the best he could. 
you know, he had never had kids, didn't know what he was kind of coming into. And he was coming into an already established child with no boundaries and structure. So you can imagine how that was hard for him. And my mom didn't want to fight me. So she would fight him to not fight me on whatever I wanted to do. But I walked in and I remember they were screaming at each other. They were sitting, one was in the kitchen, one was in the living room. And the house I grew up in, um, there's like a dining area and then an area to walk towards the hallway where my bedroom was. So one was on each side of me. I walked in the front door and I walked to my room in, in their screaming. Like I literally walked in front of their faces and probably an hour later, I got a phone call asking when I was going to be home. Oh, wow. And that moment I remember just sitting there and actually I didn't even realize I would get emotional thinking about this. So I'm getting emotional right now. I remember just sitting there and thinking like, why does my presence even matter if I can walk right in front of your face and you don't even see me? Whoa. So that's actually a perfect example of that question is in the moments where I wanted to do whatever I wanted to do. Yeah, it was great. I loved it. I got away with anything. Right. But in the moments when I was a normal teenage girl sitting in my bedroom, just wanting, wanting that nurturing wanting that love, wanting to be seen and cared about. It was very just heart-wrenching feeling that those emotions. So I mean, yeah, it was, and I think I've been trying to outrun all of those emotions for a really long time. My entire adult life has been built on gearing away from where I come from, but coming back and working in high school and seeing kids that I identify with and just being able to try to be the person that I needed so badly is actually, I think in a way, um, rectifying some of it in, in, in my mind, because I had, you know, a couple of students tell me that they don't trust anyone except for me or that they know that I understand them or they, you know, they'll talk to me when they refuse to talk to anyone else. I feel like everything I went through was for a purpose because now I'm in a position to give back to kids who feel that exact same way. But to piggyback off of that, I had phenomenal teachers, phenomenal teachers who saw me. And I mean, still to this day, I have one teacher in particular. She was like a second mom to me. Do you want to speak a little about your high school? And cause you dropped yeah, out, correct? I did. Okay. I did. So as much as, as much, as much nurturing as I was offered with my son's family, um, educate, it was a completely different culture. Um, they were from, uh, an area in Mexico that, um, they're extremely hard workers, all about family, just, just phenomenal, phenomenal people have really taught me what, what love and forgiveness is, but education was not something that was a big deal to them because they came here with nothing. They built everything off their back with just hard work. So I, I was so far um, 
behind at that point in school because it was never made a priority. My grades never mattered to my parents that by the time I went on maternity leave with my son, um, I didn't pass anything while I was on maternity leave, even though I was being tutored because I, I didn't even have the knowledge to continue with my education because I had been issued three truancy tickets. I had gotten suspended quite a few times. Like, I didn't have to go to school if I didn't want to go to school. My, my mom wouldn't fight me. I just wouldn't show up and it didn't matter. Um, so after I had my son and, um, he was born with a seizure disorder, I, I continued missing school because I was constantly in the doctor's office with him constantly, you know, doing something medical medically related that, it became, it, it became just so like the idea of graduating was like a figment fantasy that people made up. That's kind of how I viewed it. Um, and how old were you at this time? I was, time? I had just turned 17. Okay. Um, so I was old enough to legally drop out and that's exactly what I did because I was like, you know, whatever, mm-hmm. doesn't matter. Well, if you have fast forward like a year, um, I was working two jobs, two minimum wage jobs to try to take care of my family. Um, Still kind of mixed in with this cycle that I had been born into family wise. You know, I smoked cigarettes all the time, didn't care about my health, just was raising this kid, never really saw um, a bigger picture for myself. Mm -hmm. And I remember sitting there one day, actually, I worked at a, I worked at a car wash and I worked at a retail store. So I'd get off of a 10 hour shift at this car wash and then I'd go work five hours and close a retail store at the mall. And I still was not making my bills because, and I remember trying to find a job that paid more money, but they all wanted a GED or a high school diploma. And I remember sitting there one day and I, on my break at work, actually, I called, um, my old counselor who became the dean. Mm-hmm. Um, and I called him and, you know, he had watched me go through my progression of getting in trouble and all the stuff. And that conversation with him was like, it was like almost none of the stuff that I did mattered. Mm-hmm. Like he just saw like Kaylin. He was like, Kaylin, let me tell you something. Don't even think about it. I remember he was like so insistent. He was like, I don't want you to go home and think about it. I don't want you to sit and take a couple days. He said, come in first thing tomorrow morning. I was like, oh, my job, this and that. He's like, we'll figure it out. Come in first thing tomorrow morning. You're going to re-enroll and you're going to graduate. And the rest we will figure out. We'll figure it out. And And I think that's like one phrase that is maybe not given the credit that it deserves is we'll figure it out because to someone like me, that means that I'm not alone. You mean that there's other people who want to help me, even in my own personal circumstances, figure out how to make this happen, how to reach the next step. And uh, that continues to be such an important phrase that I use you know, paying it forward to other people that I can help, like, we'll figure it out. Like, I'm not going to just tell you this is what you should do and be like, okay, have fun figuring it out. You know, (laughs) together, we will, together, we will figure it out. Um, 
So I came back to that teacher that was, you know, kind of like a second mom to me. <laughs> she just gave me like the biggest hug. She always had the best hugs. I remember it's funny because the first time I ever met her, I actually argued with her for probably a solid hour. <laughs> Um, because then back, back then we had block schedule and, uh, we, we had to be in class for 90 minutes and she came in and I was arguing with the teacher that I had then. And I was actually just transitioning into, um, what's called the Shrive program, which actually wasn't what it was called back then. Um, but essentially that's what it is. And I, I, I can't even remember what I was arguing with her about, but I was so sure that she didn't know what she was talking about. I was like, you have no idea. You can't tell me like what's right. Like, you don't know me. You don't know my life. And it's funny just because she's been someone that I go to for everything. And I mean, like I'm on my breaks at work and I walk in her office and I'm like, my son is doing this and I don't even know how to handle it. What do I do? And like, I go to her to ask her I'm parenting advice, mm. advice for professional relationships, advice for friendships, advice for family relationship. Like she is such a, a strong, successful, brilliant, caring woman that I, I think, you know, I thank God that I had someone like that along my way to push me and be like, Hey, I care about you, but you're also going to respect me and mm -hmm. respect the structure of, of this educational facility. That's right. And I kind of sat there and like, at first I kind of like rebelled against it, but it was almost like that relationship mm -hmm. that was built. My attitude didn't matter because when it came to her and, and I knew she cared and I trusted her. Mm -hmm. So the structure that she was pushing on me, I trusted to be in my best interest. Right. And I think that's a huge thing. Huge. It's like, especially with kids who have like a hard time at home or, you know, attitude issues or respect issues. It's like mm -hmm. building a relationship with them, gaining their trust, nurturing them to the best of our abilities, and then slowly inserting, you know, the, the, the structure expectations mm -hmm. when it's coming from an adult that you trust yeah. it makes all the difference. That relationship built on respect. It sounds like, and, 100%. and you weren't easy on this teacher, were you? No, I not don't. at all. But she never gave up on you. No. did she? No, okay. she did not. I mean, mm -hmm. still as an adult, I, I get her, uh, her holiday cards every year. <laughs> we put them on the fridge. <laughs> She's met my, she, she was probably one of the first people that I ever let hold my son oh. uh, because when I first had him, he, I was like, he's the most important thing to me. I don't trust anyone. No, uh -huh. one, can, no one can hold him. Mm -hmm. Um, and I, I, I remember running into her, um, cause back then I, I didn't, I didn't have any idea what I was doing with babies. So I had far too little newborn clothes. I didn't realize how many he was going to go through having to wash, you know, spit up, blah, blah, blah. And I, I had to run to the store to get him more. I ran into her and I like almost threw him into her arms. I was like, hold my baby. Like, I want, I want you to experience this because what would I have done without you? And, um, yeah. And to this day you have a relationship with this. Yes. 100%. Teacher. Yeah. And she actually shared with me some of the same feelings, you know, um, she let me into her mm -hmm. world and was like, Hey, 
you think that I'm just an adult who doesn't get it. Here's what I went through when I was younger and here's how I can relate to you. And here's how I dealt with those emotions in a positive way. How was that when you heard that for the first time? Um, I remember one time actually she, I, I, she got me into writing poetry as a way of coping because she had me in English. And I remember I'd just put my head down or I'd be really angry or like, I, I was almost like, I didn't know how to self-soothe, mm-hmm. which I mean, not almost like yeah. I did not know how to self-soothe. Right. And she used to say on those days, especially listen, write something. She's like, I'm not going to read it, but I want you to write how you're feeling. And I will give you credit for this class today. But I need, I need you to do, I, you have to one, you have to do work, but two, let's find a way of working through how you're feeling and getting you to pass this class. Mm-hmm. Um, so I started writing and I actually got really into writing poetry and it was almost something that I Like when I felt an intense emotion, I could only write, which slowly translated into me being able to communicate my emotions and my feelings. Sure. Thus figuring out how to solve, you know, (laughs) difficult situations. But uh, she brought in a uh, a book from when she was my age of poetry she had written. Mm. And I remember reading this entry and she was complaining about her teacher. And she's like, my teacher is like, you know, such a bitch. And I, I looked up at her. I stopped. I looked up at her and I was like, you mean to tell me you didn't always get along with your teachers? And she was like, see, like we're people too. We have our own experiences. And I thought that was funny. And that kind of, that led into her, you know, just a background. I've, I've almost my entire life had a hard time having relationships with women. And here's why my biological father left me specifically for a woman who did not want me in his life, you know, cause she made it very clear. You're, you're not going to have a relationship with your dad unless I say so. And that translated into a young girl, not only distrusting adults, but specifically women and longing for male attention, Mm. which is a recipe for disaster for a young girl, no structure, no nurture. Mm -hmm. Um, so, uh, she shared with me some of her own personal experiences, um, with her overcoming a similar feeling and having a hard time having relationships with females and it almost didn't even make sense to me what I was feeling until she talked to me about it because she recognized it. Cause she had it, had that same issue in her own life. So she was like, Hey, I recognize this in you. Let's talk about it. And let me tell you how I've overcome it. And that, that's something that I've carried with me. I mean, I'm, we had that conversation when I was probably, 15. I'm 25. So 10, 10 years later, mm-hmm. I still recognize that and can catch it in myself mm-hmm. and, and kind of be like, you know what, this is something stemming from your childhood. Mm-hmm. You, this, I do not put this on other people. It is my responsibility to catch those things mm-hmm. and, and, and kind of work them out within myself and with trusted people that I can talk to versus, and that that's where like jealousy or unnecessary, um, 
rudeness or sassy. It kind of like translates onto other, other people. It's like kind of like the, the saying, if you don't heal your wound, you'll bleed on people who didn't cut you. Mm-hmm. Kind of mm-hmm. that kind of hurt uh, people hurt people. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yes. Um, so just being able to have, um, staff members who I think some would say that they went too far above and beyond mm-hmm. 100 times over. I will, I will, uh, sit on this hill for the rest of my life that they 100% had, had a, had a hand in saving my life because I don't know where I would be without them without their guidance, without them going that extra mile or taking too much of an interest in me. I don't, I don't, I wouldn't have, you know, I wouldn't have been able to trust adults enough to continue going through my life, seeking out that support from other adults. So these adults were crucial Yes. to see that, I guess adults weren't all alike Correct. and that there were adults that truly cared mm-hmm. and saw you and were I think it's pretty amazing. She was willing to share her poetry from mm-hmm. her past. Yeah. And that seems to really have touched a chord when you read that. 100%. Yeah. Yeah. And I, and I mean, I still use poetry as a way of coping. Mm-hmm. Not so much anymore. I ended up getting into uh, boxing, which mm-hmm. kind of translated into my love for fitness. Mm-hmm. Um, but I mean, it, even thinking back to like kind of how this all has a boom effect in my life. I started boxing at 17 after I had dropped out and I ended up, you know, getting a scholarship to pay for all my boxing and and stuff like that. And and that became my, my, uh, my me time, my peace, my, my way of coping with stresses in the world. But there was quite a few, um, I would say adultier adults because I boxed until I was 23. So about two years ago, I, I quit. But um, having been shown that I can trust people and go to them and and knowing that there are people in this world who would genuinely want to see me on a good path and want to see me grow, mm-hmm. it allowed me to trust like it allowed me to transition that trust into other people Mm -hmm. to help me continue growing along my path once I had graduated from high school. So let's just get this timeline. So you drop out at 17, Mm -hmm. um, boxing and poetry Mm -hmm. are some of your coping Mm -hmm. uh, strategies. It's just pretty cool, pretty fascinating, fascinating. And then you come back because the, who's now a Dean, it was your counselor Mm -hmm. says, get in here. We're going to work this out together. Mm -hmm. You come back. Tell us what that looks like when you're back here in the high school. Oh man. So I was older than everyone. Uh Um, I was, I had just turned 19 Mm -hmm. when I came back. Um, or I want to say I was 18. I was about to turn 19. And, um, before you go on, I'm just going to say to the audience, we are uh, recording this in uh, my office at the school. So there is some background conversation that might be being picked up, but I will, I will try to uh, get rid of that in post-production, but, uh, just to let you know, there are some background noises, but go ahead, Kaylin. I'm sorry. Yeah, no, no worries. Um, yeah. So I, I came back my whole, uh, 
I'll just call it the Shrive team because that's what it is now. But my Shrive team was like eager to greet me. You know, we were all, we kind of all sat and met and I signed my, you know, cause at that point I was legally emancipated. Mm-hmm. I was signing myself you back into school. Yeah. Um, so you had to register yourself. Right. And right. All that. Right. Okay. And, um, so I, my Shrive team and, you know, who was then now my dean, my literally supported me through working two jobs outside of school while wow. going as a full time high school student plus summer school. Mm-hmm. Um, I ended up graduating when I was 20 mm-hmm. and that teacher who was like a second mom to me was in the crowd, mm-hmm. came to the graduation, um, her. And then, um, I often referred to him as like a father figure to me cause he was a, one of the Shri- the strive teachers. Um, and he kind of gave me all the dad talks that I needed and, and, uh, you know, just general stuff that you need to hear from, from a positive male role model, uh-huh. even when you need to kind of get like verbally kicked in the butt, like, Hey, quit. Mm-hmm. This is, this is what you're doing with that behavior. And this is what you want to accomplish. And that doesn't, that doesn't work together. <laughs> right. Was this one of the first males that you knew or that you could trust or at that time in my life? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I um, had very little positive male role models and, um, yeah, he was detrimental in that. And it, it helped that, um, uh, my, my second mom, I'll just call her my second mom. Cause I don't want to disclose who she is without her information, but or sure. her permission, but, sure. uh, they were really close. They were like best friends. So their ability to work together and like kind of be on the same page with me mm-hmm. was almost like a pseudo, like I had legitimately was gifted mm-hmm. a family Man. that I had essentially always wanted just in more of like a professional school setting. So it was my escape was to come to school. So this was like the best part of your day. This is where your family was. Yeah. So I think, yes. One thing that, um, I think I I see a lot in, I don't want to say like staff members, I 100% know that they don't purposely do this, but I think that if, if I could tell them anything that would help them understand kids coming from backgrounds that I came from is that all of the, the enjoying what you put into your students, especially kids who come from backgrounds like mine will come later, but it's a long road. It can be rough at times. You have to come into it with a mindset that every single day is a a new day. And remember that a lot of times these kids are products of their environments, not here to specifically make your day hard because I can promise you 9.5 times out of 10, they're going to go home. They're not even going to remember what happened in their school day because they're facing a whole other set of issues when they leave this building. And it's interesting that you said school became like a safe place for you. Right. And, but it was not without uh, a lot of fight for me. Right. Sure. It took a long time to build that trust. It took a while and me making a lot of my own mistakes to understand that 
I could trust these people. Oh man. Yeah. So, and I, and I think that's something that I try to keep in mind. Um, one of the current strive staff members actually gave me a, a really great piece of advice. Cause I said, you know, how do you maintain this balance of, um, going that extra mile when kids need it, mm-hmm. but maintaining your boundaries. So how do you, how do you care, but like maintain your boundary as a staff member and, and kind of don't let those lines blur. And she said, you know, I can give a kid 110% of my effort, but I can only give that kid what that kid is willing to give me in return because I cannot do everything. Mm-hmm. You can lead a horse to water. You can't make them drink. Yeah. You can return what they give, but you cannot give enough for both. Mm. And that, and that resonated with me. Mm. And, and I think that's exactly what, you know, my teachers pulled off was a perfect example is they were there for me every single day, but they were 100% made me accountable mm-hmm. for what happened. Not only the bad consequences, but the good consequences. Mm-hmm. And they reinforced the good. Yeah. And we're like, look at what you're capable of. Mm-hmm. You know, stop messing around. Look at, look at what you're capable of. Had you ever received any attention for being good? Or, <laughs> no, or recognizing I think it, your strengths? No. And then, like I said, you know, uh, positive reinforcement at home was a cup of coffee and a pack of cigarettes. Yeah, yeah, right. So, I mean, in reality, you can't be like, that's not, that's not really an accomplishment. That's not re- a reinforcement of an accomplishment. Mm-hmm. Um, as much as I was like, yeah, cool. My parents buy me cigarettes, you know, mm-hmm. like whatever. It's not, that's not something that at the end of the day feels good yeah. inside of you. Like the smell of clean socks. Right. <laughs> exactly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, and I, I think as I've continued to grow as a person. Um, so, so wait a sec, did you graduate? I did. I graduated <laughs> at, at 20 years old. Mm-hmm. I had both of my pseudo parents from uh, school. They, they were there. They congratulated me. We kept in touch. We kept, you know, going out, you know, to lunch or we'd meet for coffee once a year, or whatever, oh. and kind of chit chat or send text messages and, um, you know, happy Hanukkah, Merry Christmas, <laughs> yeah. stuff like that. And, um, it actually wasn't until probably I was a single mom for a while. Um, and a lot of my focus was on paying the bills. So I wasn't really back in school or anything, but mm-hmm. as my son's gotten older, I've thought a lot more about structure and how I want to raise him and yeah. what he needs and, And I've found a way again with the support of my teachers who recommended me for this position that I'm in now (laughs) in security, um, a way to chase my dreams and continue to grow myself and show my son what what's possible um, while being a, 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 I like to think that I'm, I mean, I'm doing my best Mm -hmm. as a mom and, and giving him what he needs, um, So finding that balance between growing myself and giving him a positive uh, role model, but also um, giving him the time and the structure and the, the nurturing and the, and you know, everything in between and that it is possible to do all of those things. Cause I think for a long time growing up, 
as a kid, you almost start to blame yourself for your parents not being able to be who you need them to be. Mm-hmm. And that can't be farther from the truth. Because well, that's what's impressed me about your story. It was like you, you could have easily gone that route, right? That victim route and that blaming route. Um, but because of maybe some of these experiences with the adults in school, mm-hmm. um, your own tenacity and your own <laughs> strength inside, um, you, you've chosen a different route than that. You've, you've taken responsibility um, for yourself and for your life. Um, and I, I always asked you this question, I think in the talks, when you spoke to our, our students, mm-hmm. your life was very chaotic, but you speak now of that. You're a little bit different in terms of your, you like to keep your car clean. You're very organized mm-hmm. and, and that you depend on that structure that you've given yourself really. Yeah. In and your life. I think that's a way of structurally nurturing myself Uh as an adult. Um, I've healed from those wounds as a kid, but I also have to remember that I still need them in my, I I still need those coping mechanisms in my life as an adult. And it's very easy for me. I'll tell you if I get out of the habit of keeping my car clean or out of the habit of, you know, color coordinating my closet, Mm -hmm. as silly as it sounds, I easily will fall back into a chaotic mindset. Uh So it is very important to me to keep myself structured, to keep myself accountable, to keep myself pushing forward. Even when I don't feel, I don't feel like going to the gym. I don't feel like washing the dishes. I don't feel like cleaning my car. I will reap the consequences of that in my mental health if I do not do those things. And so I think that's a part of being an adult and holding yourself accountable is finding out, what works for you and how to maintain um, your clarity so that you can push forward and grow yourself and, and continue to, to wake up and be a better you every single day. You have to figure out what works. I hope everyone listened to that uh, last <laughs> little bit there. Cause that's, well, that is, uh, you know, learning from your life, learning from your experiences. Um, and really choosing um, strength over victimhood, really. Uh, it's about it's about breaking the cycle. Mm-hmm. I still occasionally talk to a lot of kid, a lot of kids that I went. I mean, they're adults now, but people that I knew from high school and hung yeah. out with who who didn't break that cycle. And it's I don't I don't look down on them in any way. I think that everyone runs their own path and we run it for a reason and, and, and it's never too late to turn your path around. You just might have more obstacles. And and I think it's about how big of a hole do you want to dig yourself out of at the end of the day because you dig your own hole. So you can either start filling it and finish and you know, keep going up a ladder, or you can continue to to dig yourself a hole that you're just inevitably not going to get out of mm-hmm. and until you choose to, to get out of it. But I think something, and I just want to add this in case there's any kids that ever listen to this. One last little, little story is I was very angry at my mom for a very long time. Um, I, I don't actually, I don't have a relationship with my biological parents at all. Um, but I've been able to forgive them 
for the hurt that was caused, because I think it's important. One is to understand that they never had children thinking I'm going to purposely, you know, ruin my kid's childhood. I'm going to cause them trauma. That, that was never their intention. A lot of the trauma is an overflow of trauma that they never healed from and continue to cycle of. But there was one, one of the last arguments that I got into my, uh, got into with my mom. Um, she goes, she, you know, she goes, why are you still so angry at me? It was your childhood. I didn't mean to, I did the best that I could. And my response was, I'm a mother now. I look at my son and he is everything that I could possibly need in this world to make myself better and to do better. And I said, I spent my entire childhood looking at you, wondering why I wasn't enough. And her response was, you were, I was not. And I think that is something that a lot of kids who struggle with trauma from their childhood need to hear is that you were enough tenfold. Mm. It's the lack of ability from someone else to fix what is broken within them. It does not have anything to do with your worth or your, the beauty that you bring to this world. I, I could listen to you <laughs> for hours on end, Caitlin. Um, everybody has a story, right? Yes. Everybody has a story. Yes. Um, and your story is one of <laughs> inspiration, strength, tragedy, you know, trauma, all those things. Um, but what... Uh, I feel blessed to have met you. Thank you. <laughs> I feel blessed to have likewise for you to, you know, share your story. Um, and, and who knows, I, I have a feeling we might be having a part two to this <laughs> interview at some point, because like I said, uh, I could really listen to you, um, for hours on end because of <laughs> your ability to tell your story in such an articulate way um, and, and your willingness to share and how you want to give back now to the world uh, it is just, it, it touches my heart and, and I'll, I'll tell the audience, I, I see Kaylin as security guard here in the building and, <laughs> and her ability to make relationships with the, the students is, is remarkable. Um, and to be able to kind of, you know, work that balance. I, I think Kaylin's still, you know, working on learning that and we, like mm -hmm. we all are that balance of nurture and, um, boundaries, I guess, or accountability, mm -hmm. which is what I heard Kaylin say. Um, and I just, I just have to thank you, uh, again for being a part of this podcast and, and sharing with us and, and hopefully we'll have another chance to sit down and, and talk some more. Cause I, I know there's a lot more in there. Oh yeah. I would absolutely love that. And again, thank you so much for asking me to do this for your time. It was an absolute honor. And just so people know, Kaylin is studying at the moment, correct? Yes. I am currently enrolled. I've been uh, back uh, trying to earn my associates for the past year. So I'm going part-time. I work three jobs. Whoa. So, but you know, 
it's and mom, it's, is mom one of those three jobs or is that the fourth job? That's the fourth job. Okay. That's the most important job. <laughs> yeah, that right. comes before everything else. But um, my son's phenomenal. I, I do have to, you know, remind him that it won't be like this forever. And um, I have a really amazing support system now that I, I again, is just a gift to me. Like, definitely, I'm, I'm religious. I thank God for it. Mm-hmm. Um, but... Uh, yeah. So my son's really amazing about it. Well, actually we do our homework together. Sometimes (laughs) I can't say that I'm the most patient parent when it comes to math because math is math, but they teach it a completely different way now. You're not alone in that. Yeah, no, but he's, he's really great with understanding that like, you know, mommy's taking a test. Mommy has to do this. Mm -hmm. I, you know, I do have to work, but I get off at this time and we can 100% 100% spend time doing this later. And he's like, Oh, okay. You know, that's fine. So I think the most important thing will be when he watches me graduate college, because I can tell him, Hey, I graduated college through being a single mom and a teen mom. That's right. You can, you can go to college. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, well, you know, we talk on this podcast and, and you mentioned it earlier, like that, that power of presence with kids, mm-hmm. like giving them your attention, mm-hmm. um, being there with them, listening to them, mm-hmm. um, treating them as people. And I feel like you've learned that by not having that as a child yourself. Correct. And I think much like every parent, I, I still myself struggle, mm-hmm. um, especially in the moment kind of things in the moment I'm washing dishes. I have to do laundry. I have to, I have five things on the computer that I have to check. I have to check emails. I have to submit this assignment and my kid walks in and you know, I, can I tell you about this anime video that I watched on YouTube and I'm sitting there, I'm like, no, I don't have the time for that. And then I'll come back to a moment and I'll be like, Oh my gosh as insignificant as those moments sound to us as adults with 17 billion things on our mind, those moments are the most significant to our kids. Yeah. And, and just catching yourself in those moments. I think I still, I still work on it. I'm not a perfect parent at all, but I, I try to remember those. I really catch yourself in the moment and be like, you know what, what's five minutes of my evening? Yes. Tell me about this anime that I have no idea what you're talking about, but I'm going to, I'm going to listen with intention and, you know, active listening skills. So, and that makes all the difference. So, like I said, I could keep going on and on. (laughs) This is just awesome, awesome stuff. So, uh, to the audience, look, look forward to part two. And I just want to say thank you again. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. All right. Thank you, Galen. All right. So I'm hoping everyone enjoyed that interview. Uh, I know I did. And like I said in the interview, I'm I'm looking to um, interview her again uh, for a part two type of episode uh, for season two. And if feel free to play this interview over again and and really listen to the wisdom uh, that comes through uh, when Kaylin when Kaylin speaks. Um, based on her experiences and, and what she has learned. Have a happy holiday, everybody. Um, 
2021 is about to come to a close. Um, so take take this interview, take these words deep into your heart and, and, and let them sink in uh, and inspire you for the new year, 2022. All right, take care, everyone.